Welcome back to this week's Registr Roundup. Uh, all the news and views about the trade repository space from your top trade repository team at Registr, and that is uh, in no particular order, but clearly uh, starting with the most important person, Barbara Ruiz Alonso, Head of Client Services. Hi, hello everyone. Thanks, Andrew, for that. I'll, I invite you to something once we are back from confinement. And also joining us again, uh, the voice of reason, the head of business development for the whole of uh, Registr, Nick Bruce. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our double O podcast, License to Report. Yes, License to Report. That's right. And I like that. Oh, please. Tell, tell me you're going to cut that out. Okay. No. Uh, talking of double O's, talking of double O's, no. Nick, there is a COO with us as well, or the, an acting COO, acting uh, chief operations officer for uh, the UK uh, Registrar, and that is John Kernan. Good morning, everyone. And I freely admit that Barbara is the most important person here. Okay. And today, I know it's uncharacteristic for a refined, reserved, highly professional team to whoop and clap. Uh, over such matters, but today is a big day because you've got your SFTR license. Hey, woo! And we're going to be talking about exactly what that means uh, for Registr and obviously for the whole SFTR uh, implementation across Europe in a moment. But first, here is our disclaimer. And this week we've set it to some uplifting indie folk music. This podcast is sponsored by Registr and features members of the Registr team offering their personal opinions. It is not intended to be taken as any form of legal, tax or other professional advice and there is no representation made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information within it, nor does it necessarily reflect the opinions of Registr as an organisation. First off, let's just dot the I's and cross the T's on this. Um, you've uh, got the uh, license through for SFTR uh, reporting, which is a big deal because this is probably one of the, the biggest uh, shakeups in uh, the uh, sort of derivatives and, and sort of financing re- reporting scene. Um, there has been since Amir, and arguably it's going to be bigger than Amir as well because it's a, it's a much more complex uh, implementation, more complex set of data. I actually participated a lot in the uh, registrar uh, application and it it has been for sure much more complex than the EMI one uh, not only because ESMA concretely knew more about uh, how they wanted this to look like but also because they they wanted to make sure everything was as good as possible for the for the implementation date so it, it's been tough uh, I think not only for for the TRs but also for the participants. Uh, and I think this will actually be a much better reporting start date and, and future, uh, well, reporting uh, days than they were in EMU because in EMU we were not that well uh, ready, I must say. So I'm very happy uh, for for this achievement for Registr. It's it's been, as I said, a huge work for all the team. So I also would like to take the opportunity to, to thank all my colleagues that have participated on this. Uh, and so, yeah, let's, let's just wait for a, a couple of months more uh, so we can actually see the, the um, well, the, the effort we have done and, and see it in production, which I'm, I'm really looking forward. Uh, John, I wanted to ask you this one because obviously as uh, head of product, um, SFTR's 
registration process was was more complex than previous ones because you actually had to demonstrate systems integration as part of the uh, licensing process, right? Yeah, that's correct. So actually, on the face of it, actually, when you, when you looked at the application process as coded into the regulatory framework, it actually says if you're an incumbent TR already authorized by ESMA for email, like we are, um, that it's a streamlined process. But to be honest, it didn't feel didn't feel at times like a streamlined process for for the reasons that you reasons that you said. Um, and I think actually it's interesting because there's a there's a lot of stuff, and I don't want to get my uh, world's smallest violin out, but there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that TRs um, do that I think is is pretty much invisible to clients. But an application process like this can take months, um, if not if not years, um, to get approval. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, we're completely delighted to be approved in the first batch. We were confident we would be, but um, you can't you can't take things like that for granted. Now, Nick, in a way, this is where the hard work starts because, and I, that is in no way to diminish the huge amount of work that the, the team's already put in, building the systems, getting the user acceptance testing underway. But something that came up in last week's podcast was raised by uh, Dario Crispini of, of Kaizen Reporting is, you know, effective regulatory reporting is about relationship between the market participants and the regulators that is you know, partly expressed through data, but it's also expressed through day-to-day operations about adjustments that have to take place uh, once a system is up and running. So that, in a way, it's almost impossible for everything to be right from day one with something like SFTR, isn't it? Because it's such a big implementation. When we talk about SFTR, I, similar to um, to Amir, the, the, you know, I, I look at regulation and I see that this is a constant evolution. And... You know, it will always adapt, and it will all. There will always be sort of changes that happen to help streamline it, to make it more efficient, and also to cover areas maybe that has been recognised were omitted previously. So you've seen it with Amir um, when they looked at Amir. There were questions around data quality. Now a lot of that went into the process of SFTR. So looking at the ISO standards, looking at um, the data fields and making sure really that the data integrity is there. And then you're seeing that retrofitted back into EMEA through EMEA refit. But equally, there's a lot of questions that are still open around SFTR. So we know there's going to be a refit for SFTR. So you can almost say this is the start of the journey. But at the same time, look, it, this is a great first step. Uh, and it's a huge relief just to get the licenses in place and start moving forward. The thing is, when something new like this comes in, you've got 152, is it 154 fields of data? And there's a lot of fields of data uh, that have got to be filled in by market participants. And that's data that isn't necessarily all held in one system. Uh, it could be held between multiple counterparties on multiple different systems. You've got to work out a way to get all of that together in sort of automated format into a report, get it over to the TR, get it processed and into the regulator. So presumably the the, the, the national competent authorities uh, across the EU are prepared for the fact that there are going to be some glitches and some issues with such a big implementation, something like SFTI, which I think is the most complex set of data that anyone's had to report uh, applied to uh, regulation. Yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, there has to be, even if they won't say it publicly, a, tac- a tacit understanding on, on, on their part that even with the best preparation in the world and the most uh, pre-consultation taking place, you know, there are going to be um, unforeseen 
issues um, with the reporting. Um, so I think uh, I think people can reasonably expect a certain amount of tolerance there. Now, obviously, on that point, there is this issue that's been brewing potentially around uh, UTIs uh, for SFTR. That seems like an awful lot of uh, acronyms there. Uh, so the Universal Trade Identifier uh, number, which, you know, obviously we've had to deal with this before, but uh, Drew Nickel, who's the editor of Security Lending Times, he heard us talking about this. We'd picked up on this story uh, that he'd been looking into around that, and he sent us this recording. Uh, with his view on what could be happening out there uh, with the UTI uh, issue. Hello, everyone, and thank you for inviting me to contribute to your new podcast. I've enjoyed every episode, but my interest was especially piqued last Monday when you touched upon my new favourite topic of SFTR's UTI requirements. SLT focused on this area in our latest digital publication, and so I was really interested to hear Barbara and John's take on this. Whilst researching my feature, it became clear that although UTIs have been discussed ad nauseum by the industry working groups, the question of how best to actually exchange them has been slightly forgotten, or has at least been put on the bottom of the SFTR to-do list. Although there are many solutions out there, the one I looked into here was being promoted by the Danish Bankers Association, who recently suggested that anyone who has not yet signed up to a vendor solution could consider using swift messaging, which would, among other things, avoid the need to exchange UTIs manually. This is one of the many areas where technology should be front and centre in any solution, and I'm sure it will be discussed at whatever industry events we do get to go to this year, which will hopefully include SLT's Technology Symposium, which we've rescheduled for the 3rd of September, so right in the middle of SFTR's go-live phases. Finally, I wanted to congratulate you guys on being the first podcast to become available via SLT's new multimedia hub. As we've all pivoted to remote working, there really has been an explosion of online content, and I really think it's something that we should try and maintain once we're back to our normal lives. The securities finance industry will have to solve many more challenges, including the exchange of UTIs in the years ahead, and we will be much better equipped to do so if all the people that hold the various pieces of the puzzle are able to use new resources like this podcast to collaborate and share as best we can. First of all, I'd just like to say thanks, Drew. And uh, that's, um, yeah, that's right. Maybe the securities in industry could solve more of its problems if it um, did more uh, podcasting. Then I'm just going to float it out there. I think, yeah, come on our podcast. I mean, presumably the exchange of uh, UTIs is a fairly basic requirement, right? So isn't there a specification for precisely how that should happen? Something in the ISO standard or something like that? Yes, there are actually specifications about it, but uh, it also creates uh, some confusions. And it's, uh, well, you know, T plus one seems to be time enough, but it, in some occasions it is it is not for the amount of, 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 of trades that people uh, need to, to report to the TR. Uh, and also, despite of the specifications on this, we have, for example, the, the test environment, which many of our clients use as well to, to get used to this um, methodology and, 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 and timing that they need to comply with. Uh, but it's true that in the in the test environment, they do not always uh, do shared testing between different uh, counterparties. So it is actually in the production environment when they encounter, uh, well, these uh, limitations or issues. So uh, I, I think specifications are there and they all try to follow, but it's not always that easy and, and you, they, they keep uh, encountering these issues. So Nick, question for you on this, uh, because obviously as head of business development, you're going to be working with uh, 
clients to get them uh, you know, I implementing the systems effectively and developing the right kind of processes around it. So question for you is, there's a phased implementation here. So by September, let's say when we, we hopefully will be let out again, and we might all be at the Security Lending Times conference. Um, but if we're not by September, um, do you think they'll have <laughs> solved the UTI issue? Do you think this is a process that will just come out in the wash just from from doing? I, I guess when you look at Amir as well as a reference, UTI is, is still an issue. Um, when I guess if you look at it logically, it's quite surprising. I mean, UTIs logically should be automatically generated. Um, and it, as a shared reference, it shouldn't be a sticking point, but we found that it still is. Um, sometimes it's a question of who's responsible for the UTI generation. And I, I do think that there will still be problems going forward. We've mentioned, John referred to the validation rules, but Passing the validation still doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have matching UTI. So it still doesn't necessarily mean that the overall data quality will be there. And I do think this is, and quite rightly identified it, I do think this is still a sticking point and the industry needs to move towards a standardised solution with referencing. Yeah, I mean, the UTI, the UTI is obviously critical, a statement of the obvious, but the UTI is um, a mandatory component of the matching process, which is the first stage of the reconciliation process in between TRs. And, the, the, you know, it's this process that really highlights both to market participants and to the regulators themselves where, where potential data, data quality issues lie. Um, so obviously it is important <laughs> it's very important to get uh, to get the UCI right um, perhaps on a more optimistic view I mean what we are hearing from a lot of our clients I would potentially say you know a majority of our clients are looking to intermediate their reporting so Andrew you referred to it before you know the effort of extracting data from multiple platforms having to consolidate all of that having to format it into the ISO 2082 format, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of people are intermediating that with, um, there, there are a number of um, entities, uh, majority of which we, we partner with. And you can, if your counterpart is, for example, on the same trading or, or reconciliation platform, it becomes easier then um, for that platform to generate and share the UTI between the two entities. So, as I say, because I think the use of intermediaries in the SFCR space is going to be quite high, I would expect, actually, that maybe the UTI uh, may not be um, such an issue as it was, for example, when EMEA went live. And, of course, we've had, you know, more prescriptive protocol regarding the uh, UTI cascading process who... Who produces, who, who consumes it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, since Emo went live as well. Okay, so while it's all good news on the SFTR front, and uh, there's some working out to do with UTIs, there's more working out to do, of course, because Brexit is still coming. And on that front, here's the Brexit roundup with John. Hi, it's John Kernan here with the weekly Brexit update. I'm beginning to think that I must have done something bad in a former life to have uh, been landed with this gig on an ongoing basis. Anyway, let's get on with it, will we? After the second round of EU-UK future negotiations ended last week, with EU Chief Negotiator Michel Barnier describing the progress in trade talks as disappointing, 
the UK called on the EU to show political movement to move the negotiations forward. Cabinet Office Secretary Michael Gove told MPs that the COVID-19 pandemic would not cause the government to seek an extension of the Brexit transition period. Experience from years of Brexit talks with Brussels showed that whenever a deadline was extended, the light at the end of the tunnel was replaced by more tunnel, Gove said. A balanced solution would be needed, particularly in relation to fisheries and the level playing field, an official from Downing Street said last Monday. Meanwhile, thankfully, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson recovered from the COVID-19 virus and returned to office on the 27th of April. That's it for today. Stay safe, folks. Talk to you soon. Barbara, as Head of Client Services, what, what are the what do clients feel about this idea? I mean, realistically, we could be in a sort of two-track system where they're having to report with their EU27 um, uh, regulations uh, for some trades. They're going to have to report to the FCA on, on others in the UK. Is it what, what's going? How do they feel about this sort of SFTR situation? Yeah, it's it's a good question for which I um, I have an answer because we have been facing the the reporting start date under UK a few times already because it, it seems to be ready for last year a couple of times. So uh, we know actually how clients feel. And indeed, as, as John explained, uh, they, they are not confused, but the challenge is about where each trade needs to be allocated, especially for those that uh, need to keep reporting under the EU and also under the UK. So that's that's the challenge, and that's where the main questions about this comes to us, uh, basically uh, about delegation, about who needs to close what accounts. Uh, of course, they are worried also about the costs of keeping uh, reporting to different TRs. So, so that's basically the main um, well, the main issues that they face, and the main challenges uh, about transition periods, and because it will be a big bang. So this is uh, basically one day you stop reporting under the EU and then you need to move everything to the UK. Uh, so that, that needs testing and that needs a lot of coordination with all the, the, the counterparties that are under these circumstances. All that remains to say is thank you very much. Congratulations. Happy SFTR Day to uh, Registr. And that is uh, your top trade repository team with in order of niceness. Barbara Ruiz Alonso, Head of Client Services. Okay, thank you, Andrew. Goodbye, everyone. And yeah, let's enjoy today and uh, let's cheer up uh, for what's to come. And also uh, closely followed uh, in the niceness stakes, uh, it's Nicholas Bruce, Head of Business Development. I'll take second. Um, yeah, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Barbara, John. And speak to you all next week. And finally, of course, still on the podium, even though he's in third place, it's uh, Chief, Acting Chief Operations Officer for the UK and Head of Product for Europe, John Cunn. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to Drew. I'd like to say as well to the listeners, um, if you want to send us feedback like uh, like Drew did or suggestions or contributions, we, we welcome them. We might even send you a piece of our finest corporate tax as a gift, obviously, when we're when we're out of lockdown. There you are. That's an offer you can't refuse. That's all we have for this week. So we can say goodbye from the roundup and we will see you next week. Have a safe week. Have a good week. And we'll look forward to speaking to you then.